Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Tales of Mythic Adventure. It's been a bit of a while, but now we're... It has been, Mob. Oh, it absolutely has, but we're back in the groove. This is Mob, Michael O'Brien, speaking to you from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm going to swing over to my uh, colleague in his bunker in Berlin, Jeff. Hey there, this is Jeff Richard, and I'm here in Festung, Berlin, which is a a grey and cold December day in the exciting city of Berlin. Well, summer's just started here, it's nice and hot, and i tell you what else is hot. That is the RuneQuest Classic Kickstarter, which was launched just a few days ago. It's been going gangbusters, hasn't it? Oh yeah, you know, we're in day four at this point, and we've got a thousand backers and over $85,000 already, and we've still got 20 days to go on this. And embarrassing as it is for me to say this, it's actually doing at this point better than the Guide to Glorantha did. Oh, which I believe was at about $75,000. Uh huh. Oh, we shall see how far this goes. I mean, I, I'm, I'm personally very excited about the next stretch goal on this one. Oh, which is? Uh, Cults of Prax. Oh, which now, is, that is a classic supplement. Yeah, which makes me a little bit of a heretic of all of the RuneQuest supplements. Of all of them. Cults of Prax, in my opinion, was uh, the best. You know, a lot of people call say it's Griffin Mountain or Cults of Terror or Apple Lane or Borderlands or whatnot. Not for me. For me, the, the, the two biggies. The 800-pound gorillas of the RuneQuest 2 era were Cults of Prax and Troll Pack. Well, we're, we're going to be a fair way to go for Troll Pack on our stretch yeah, goals. It's going to be a tough one. So if you're listening to this, pledge, pledge, pledge uh, at the higher levels, and maybe we will get the epic Troll Pack supplement. By the way, of course, we, we all know it was a Greg Stafford uh, production, but who wrote most of Troll Pack? That was, of course, Sandy Peterson. Absolutely, who also just had a uh, very successful Kickstarter. He did. Odds War Onslaught 2. But interestingly, um, Sandy just uh, posted on, on his uh, site about, uh, about his games that um, if it wasn't for RuneQuest, um, he wouldn't be here doing the things he's doing today. That's what started it all. Same, I think that's the same for all of us. I mean, I don't know about you, but... Uh, when, whenever I think of old school gaming, I don't think of, uh, first edition D&D. Um, I mean, I, uh, I played, uh, first edition AD&D back in the time, but, uh, my, my gaming friends and I, what we got increasingly frustrated with it is, is that there wasn't a tremendous amount to do with our characters other than wander through dungeons, kill monsters, take their stuff, repeat. I mean, there really, really wasn't even that much to spend your money on. I mean, you could build a castle. Um, I remember from the Dungeon Master's Guide. You could build a castle and fortifications, but there was... It just <coughs> didn't... There was no interest. And uh, I remember we tried Traveler and hate... Uh, we, we, I don't think we made it past character creation. I think too many of our characters died. Well, that before. is a fun game where characters can actually die before they even start. Absolutely. But my, my, my good friend Michael Gibson brought over 
uh, this game called RuneQuest. And, and he was super excited about it because he said, hey, this is set in that, that the same universe as that cool war game we've been playing every Sunday, White Bear Red Moon or Dragon Pass. I can't remember which edition it was that we were playing. Damn. But we, yeah, and, uh, and then we got super excited because in that game, you could play a troll or a centaur or even a were pig. A tusk brother. You you could indeed. Uh, and and that was just that was just fantastically awesome. When you're 14 or 15 years old and you get to play a kamikaze wear pig, what is cooler than that? Absolutely. You know my my experience uh, was similar. I we we played that uh, basic D and D set. You know the one with the red the dragon, blue the blue box with the red dragon on the cover. And then uh, a friend of mine, Trevor Ackley, who was a co-writer for um, Sun Council. Oh, I remember Trev. Yep. Trev actually bought a copy of this yellow-covered game supplement called Apple Lane. And we tried to play RuneQuest without actually having the rules. We didn't own the rules. We were, we were poor 13-year-olds at the time. And we tried to work out RuneQuest from first principles. We could see that it was inexpressibly cool. And not just because it didn't seem to have levels or alignments and all sorts of other silly things. But also, there was this world of Glorantha there. That, uh, you know, the hints about it, even in, uh, that, ori- that original Apple Lane was just so tantalizing. Oh, a- absolutely. And the original RuneQuest 2 rules were just so clean. Um, it's I mean, pretty amazing, the, isn't it? The the there was a um, for those who are buying it. I the RQ two rules hold up shockingly well even today. Um, yep. Of the major introductions introduced by RQ three, really, I gotta say the main ones, um, the main rules. Uh, changes uh, that that I actually think were uh, made sense beyond um, was that um, what was it they uh, allowed skill progression above ninety percent if you weren't a rune lord, mm-hmm. which which kind of made sense to me. They introduced dodge instead of just defense, yeah, and then. Um, Oh, oh, and allowing <laughs> allowing uh, your uh, skills to improve by a D6 instead of a flat 5%. Right. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, uh, the rules, you know, those are pretty minor cosmetic changes. Those rules held up fantastically well, and frankly, in a lot of ways, were better than RQ3. I was tremendously impressed that RQ2 manages to do all of that and gr- ground it firmly in Glorantha and give you enough to go on, all in 114 pages. It's yes. Pretty amazing, really. Yes. Um, uh, you know, they, there were no cults in it beyond the the uh, unbelievably truncated write-ups of Orlanth, Kygerlider, and I think two paragraphs of Black Fang. Black Fang, yes. Black Bang, but nonetheless, uh, it was you hold up RuneQuest, and you hold up at the same time uh, the equivalents from other uh, 
uh, game books, core rule books from that period. And, and RuneQuest is just, you know, stands out as just uh, uh, heads and shoulders above its competition at the time, mm-hmm. which might explain why it was the number two game back in the early 80s. Yeah, um, it was um, in fantasy gaming for sure. It was it was second only, and, and you have to say that it was second only to AD and D. But man, it gave it a run for its money for a while there. Oh yeah, no, um, RuneQuest. Once we started playing RuneQuest, that was that was the end of um, uh, the the level based D twenty games. I don't think. After after we started GMing um, or, or or gaming uh, RQ RQ two and this is early eighties this is maybe eighty one mm-hmm. um, I don't think we played more than I don't think I've played more than a dozen D and D games mm-hmm. since that. Uh, if you don't count 13th Age, I've played a fair number of 13th Age games. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, as a result of RuneQuest, I don't think I ever even played 2nd Edition AD&D. I can't even intelligently comment on whether that was a good game system or not, because we were too busy playing RQ2 and then RQ3, and then the whole family of games that came out of that, uh, Call of Cthulhu, Pendragon, Ringworld, uh, Stormbringer... Mm-hmm. Uh, no, just I, I even played. I played ElfQuest for for Christ's sakes. We didn't know what to do with it. Um, I love. We love the comics, but um, as as a game, we could never quite figure out what our dramatic tension was supposed to be because, um, well, we were elves that rode on wolves. Who which has is, the pointiest ears? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, oh boy, I played a lot of Ringworld. You know. Going back to RQ2, um, I, I, you say that uh, RuneQuest, it, it had that very truncated set of cults, but then Cults of Prax came out, and then yeah. all of a sudden you had, man, you had everything you needed to just... Uh, well, I, and, and, and Cults of Prax was the, the, the second punch for me playing uh, D&D. Uh, the one-two punch was RuneQuest to the rules, and then Cults of Prax. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is that you came in, and suddenly there was this living world, and and your character had a um, a, a, a relationship with with their god, regardless of whether they were a cleric or not. In fact, there were no clerics; everybody was a cleric. And you had, and these these gods felt like gods of the ancient world. They they felt like um, what people worship as opposed to, you know, I always felt that the deities and demigods, uh, gods felt like something out of the old Marvel, uh, Thor comics. Mm-hmm. You know, they were super powerful, super strong beings that ran around and, and, you know, I don't know, fought space Vikings wearing spandex. But there was nothing uh, mythic about them. No, no, there's no mythic feeling whatsoever to them. And, but RuneQuest, they came in and you were dealing with these bizarre cults. Waha. Uh, Stormbull. And then my favorite of all, Orlanth and the Lightbringers, which mm-hmm. were just, you know, the Lightbringers quest, as they hinted this, is this just amazing uh, uh, Joseph Campbell hero quest. I mean, it is a, a, a perfect 
um, fictional rendition of the monomyth of, of Campbell, um, done as, as modern experimental fiction. And it just, it lived, it breathed, it, it felt real, it felt mythic. It was real fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and RuneQuest is, you know, there's not been a lot of, of games that have had that sense of, of what I consider, and, and I, I, I don't mean to be ter- as pejorative as it sounds, but I, I can't quickly think of another term other than real fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not some uh, whitewashed generic fantasy built on tropes that were built on tropes built on um, a D. Led Zeppelinized uh, reading of the Lord of the Rings. I mean, those Zep songs had more mythic fantasy in them than a lot of the the generic quasi Tolkien sure. uh, fantasy. But what you came out with RuneQuest was real fantasy. I mean, it was Gilgamesh, man. You know, yeah, I you- think part of the reason for that is that Glorantha was not a campaign setting invented for this game. It existed long before RuneQuest was even thought of. Well, exactly. And also, Greg started writing Glorantha stories before he started reading Tolkien. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, you, can, you get a heavy feel that you know, Jason and the Argonauts, uh, they, that, that the Iliad, that Gilgamesh, those, those stories play a bigger role in the conception of Glorantha than Lord of the Rings do. And that's not a bash on Lord of the Rings, which is one of my favorite books um, ever written. But uh, it's written. Yep. And you yeah. know that that's why it's it's thought of as a Bronze Age style game as well. So it's not doing the medieval fantasy tropes. Well, RuneQuest Two made that really clear because it's you know iron weapons are different. Mm-hmm. You know they they interfere with your ability to do magic. They they got a lot more AP. Uh, you need, in order to really use them, you need to have your cult enchant them to make them usable. Otherwise, iron, I remember, never... So anyways, yeah, RuneQuest 2, you have that, that hardwired into the rules that, that iron is something different. And I don't know about you, Mob, but when I was playing, I my characters didn't even want to have any iron unless um, they can have it enchanted by their cult and made safe. Uh, that was uh, that was a big thing about uh, RQ2 in particular was the idea that you would progress forward and one day become a rune lord and that magic ninety percent skill was always considered a wonderful thing to get to as well. Yeah, I mean, I think even the cover of the uh, of the classic the classic RQ2 cover, which I believe is known as the burrito cover, isn't it? Oh yeah, the burrito monster. Yeah, the burrito. Uh, well, I th- is it? It's the shield that looks like a burrito. I think, but the, the burrito looks like a shield that's getting chomped on by the burrito monster. Yeah, yeah. Louise Perrin's cover is a wonderful thing, and uh, the character on there, the woman, is uh, wearing bronze armor. Yeah, she is not wearing a chainmail bikini. She is wearing uh, a a classic Bronze Age cuirass. Um, and it's, she's got storm runes on her breasts, um, and a life rune in between them, and she's wearing a, 
uh, an awesome decorated uh, bronze helmet. And if you look at the runes on the helmet, Mob, I don't know if you ever did. I've got it right here in front of me, yeah. What does that look like to you? Stylized uh, motion runes. It does. It does. Yeah, she's, in she's But then she's got a truth rune also on her shield. She's got a lot of runes. Maybe she's an Orlanthe, maybe not, but she's not a Yomalian. Uh, not with that much skin showing, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is um, that's one of my favorite covers. And it, it, you know, capturing the spirit of the original RuneQuest is a big part of what we're we're we're, we're working on right now with the updated version for later this year. Yeah, because... yeah. Just tell us a little bit about that, Jeff. Oh well, um, one of the things that that you know where we've been. Um, uh, working on in the background while doing this Kickstarter is the new updated version of RuneQuest, which, you know, there's RuneQuest 3, which was the Avalon Hill generic RuneQuest, and then basically after that, RuneQuest never really rejoined Glorantha. But and now it is. Now it definitely is, and one of the neat things is uh, we really wanted to have as much of the look and feel of RuneQuest 2, while still incorporating uh, genuinely good developments um, uh, in gaming. And, and a lot of these are developments that, frankly, were intended to be brought into Rune, RuneQuest 2 way back in the early days when uh, Greg was working on um, uh, retooling uh, a new version of RuneQuest. Uh -huh. And uh, then the decision was made that the new version of RuneQuest would be generic. So most of that got dropped. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one big thing is, is putting in a lot of the original intended ideas um, for RuneQuest that you, you'll recognize. You'll see a lot of people that will that buy the new RuneQuest will recognize what games these ended up getting used by. Um, mm -hmm. But they were always intended for RuneQuest. And um, really excited about that. But um, what I'm also really excited about is uh, trying to put something together that um, is broadly compatible with the old RQ2 material, so as well as RQ3 um, at, at, at all moving forward. Mm -hmm. So at the moment in the Kickstarter, we've got uh, the following stretch goals have already been achieved. Uh, fangs, which is that booklet of pre-roll characters apple lane which is the classic scenario i talked about before snake pipe hollow and there's been a great discussion i've seen on the comments about which of the covers should be used i didn't even know there were three covers but... oh yeah my favorite is the giant fighting snake oh yeah because that's that's definitely the loopiest well and that's the one that actually has the best feel of what's in snake pipe hollow i mean i understand people that like the um uh, a brew picture, but you know something? Brews are a dime a dozen. How often do you see uh, a a? And that's William Church who did that one, isn't it? Oh, it is indeed. Stra what is it? A um, giant snake strangling it's a giant. Club. It's big club. The giant fighting against one of the giant snakes. Yeah, which uh, is just cool. We've also unlocked uh, Rune Masters, which is the uh, the classic cult leader supplement. And uh, also, and this hasn't been mentioned, it has, the first half of that book is uh, very long descriptions about how you can play these high-level characters. And that's oh, absolutely. But, 
my favorite that's been unlocked is RQ Companion. Uh, and, and I know that there's been a bunch of questions about how much of, of RQ Companion made it into the guide. And, and a lot of the Holy Country section, um, admittedly, that, that was a big part of the basis for the section that became um, the, the Holy Country section of the guide. Mm-hmm. But in mind that that's um, what the Holy Country section in um, uh, RuneQuest Companion is, if you drop out the map, about six pages. I think that the Holy Country section of the guide is about 35 or 40 pages. Uh, so there's obviously a lot more that's in the guide. But... Um, things that didn't make it in um, were there's these wonderful stories, some myths about Chorlinther, the birth of uh, Chorlinther, the mm-hmm. Mirror's Bay God. Uh, lots of little snippet bits that, that were too localized to get brought into the guide. As well as the RQ Companion just has a lot of additional material. Oh, I mean, some it, of it's just Luffy, like Waltopus cooking. Octopus cooking. Um, it has. Uh, I'm just looking at it right now. There, it's got a um, choose your own adventure. It's got a lot of little stories. It's got um, one of the most of the Johnstown Compendium mm-hmm. ever. Uh, and and if you get this, I would advise very carefully reading um, the the Compendium stuff. Uh, all the way through. You have Greg's experimental illusion magic section. You have um, uh, Argrass um, entry in a pavis. You've got a, um, a, a Alan uh, Lavera story. You've got more on trolls by Sandy Peterson. You've got um, a history of my black horse troop. Oh, I love that. Um, plus Greg's uh, ivory plinth. And then you've got pages of RQ2 Errata. Which actually has gets um, cheerfully folded into the new set of rules that are coming out, the RQ Classic Rules. But yeah, RQ Companion, RQ Companion is one of my short list mm-hmm. uh, uh, books there. You know, there, there's one other we missed out on the list that's already been achieved, and that's Plunder. And that was the Treasure Supplement. And I'll tell you what I liked about that. Treasures in RuneQuest are not like in that other game where you have a plus two broadsword. Treasures in the in the in the game Plunder, all of them had a mythic reason for why they existed. Oh, absolutely! And this is one of the things that's wonderful about RuneQuest is RuneQuest just had so much color to it. Mm-hmm. There was. Um, and, and, and its color all enriched the game setting. Now, there were some ones in the, uh, DM's guide, if you remember the, um, uh, some of the artifacts. Oh, the artifacts or relics or whatever they were called? Yeah, some of those yeah, were interesting. Some of those were, pretty, some of those were pretty darn cool. But, uh, the thing is, is that they were the exceptions that proved the rule, while in, in, in Plunder, everything had a cool story. Mm-hmm. You know? The little magic crystal, well, that's little bits of, of blood spilled in the God's War. Um, you know, the, what was it? You know, rhino fat. Um, is it terribly awesome? No, I mean, it's, 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 it's moderately magical armor made out of cooking rhino fat. Rendering down rhinos. <laughs> exactly. But, 
you know, it was still cool. I mean, I don't know about you, my Stormbolt character <coughs> in RQ2, he had rhino fat. Of course. That was just awesome. Did tend to make them very flammable, I thought. But anyway. So I just, that made them very stinky living in uh, <laughs> the wastes with, uh, you know, many day old rhino fat. I guess that's probably why rhinos are an endangered species in Glorantha as well as here on Earth. Well, it could also be that, that most of Prax is pretty crappy for rhinos. Could be. So, you know what? We, we are um, on our way to the uh, $100,000 stretch goal of Cults of Prax. After that, the next one is Cults of Terror. And, man, Cults of Terror, Cults of Prax, the Arku Companion and the Rulebook. What an amazing uh, set of um, books to have. Oh, absolutely. Cults of Terror, the first ten pages of Cults of Terror is still the best intro to Glorantha um, in that many pages. Yeah, you know, what I think they really mastered at that point, they really hit a high point, and that is um, everything was as short as possible, but no shorter. And it was very concisely and very engagingly written. Oh, absolutely. And... and um, I mean, there's a reason why the history of Glorantha section in the Guide to Glorantha is basically just an updated uh, version, updated and expanded version of what was in uh, Cards of Terror. Mm-hmm. Because when it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. And then the um, the one after that, the other, the stretch goal after that is Griffin Mountain, and that is something a lot of people say is the uh, the best of the RQ2 supplements. I personally think Borderlands was, and that's a bit way further down on the stretch goals, and we uh, I wonder if we'll quite make it there. But um, this oh, is- I love the I love Griffin Mountain. I I think it was the best sandbox mm-hmm. uh, campaign ever done. Uh, sandbox campaign without really anything going on other than the player's um, uh, exploration of the sandbox. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally, and I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble with me, with people about that, I personally don't find a sandbox campaign as compe- compelling as a, um, a dynamic setting. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean a setting that is changing um, irrespective. It's changing not only in response to the players' uh, actions, but it's also changing irrespective of what the players do or don't do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I've always found um, dynamic settings more exciting, but I know that, that there are a tremendous number of people that consider sandbox games to be the absolute pinnacle of gaming. And for them, I'd have to say Griffin Mountain is the pinnacle of that pinnacle. It is the it is the peak. It is the um, the um, icicle atop the mountaintop. <laughs> you know, um, in the Kickstarter, not only are these being unlocked, there are a couple of special items for for high level backers, and I think we're we're probably going to have to get Rick Mites on, president of Chaosium, and. Uh, well, yeah, let's get co- next. collector of extraordinaire, who who can tell us about these in more detail? We've got the actual RuneQuest one playtest manuscript. Oh, wowzers! Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, we yeah we've got a lot of neat stuff, but let's have Rick tell everybody about it next week. 
Um, so he'll talk about it's... that, and he'll talk about the two-volume unpublished scenarios and source material set. So, yeah, let's get Rick on to talk about that in next week's episode, because we're just about out of time here, Jeff. Uh, okay. Uh, let's let's uh, get Rick on next week, and until then, uh, this has been another tale of mythic adventure with Jeff Richard and... And Mob. Ch- Tally ho and cheerio. Choosy. <laughs> this has been another edition of Tales of Mythic Adventure with Jeff Richard and Michael O'Brien, produced by Robert Wolfe. A grave number of felonies were committed according to the laws of Casino Town during the course of this episode, but what happens in Casino Town stays in Casino Town. Thank you.